Good morning. Welcome, everyone. We're um, broadcasting this Sunday service from the Yogananda Amphitheater right below the Temple of Light. And uh, unusual, but I'm seeing many of my brothers and sisters of the community for the first time in a long time because we're always in uh, protocol and wearing masks. So they're still wearing masks, but it's just good to see you all and be with you all and to hear live music <laughs> for a change. Um, my name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria, and it's a joy to um, read from Rays of the One Light. Uh, this is Many Are the Pathways to Truth. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. On the dedication page of Swami Kriyananda's book, The Path, appears the following account. A group of Paramahansa Yogananda's disciples had gone with him to see a movie about the life of Gyandev, a great saint of medieval India. Afterwards, they gathered and listened to the master explain certain subtler aspects of that inspiring story. A young man in the group mentioned another film he had seen years earlier in India about the life of Mirabai, a famous woman saint. If you'd seen that movie, he exclaimed, you wouldn't have even liked this one. The guru rebuked him. Why make such comparisons? The lives of great saints manifest in various ways the same one God. The Bible contains a similar account in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9. And John said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. The more central a truth the greater the number of contexts in which it can be applied. Truth is like a pure white light containing within itself the full spectrum of the rainbow. Let no one tell you what your path to God ought to be. Many are the paths. Select your own according to the dictates of your own nature, no matter how out of step that puts you with other people. Sri Krishna in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, trying even unsuccessfully to fulfill one's own spiritual duty, dharma, is better than pursuing successfully the duties of others. Better death itself in the pursuance of one's own duties. The pursuance of another's duties is fraught with spiritual danger. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. As yogis, we're not supposed to be attached, but <clears throat> I have to say, we have blue sky, we have clear air, at least it looks and smells like it. And we have a beautiful breeze, so a uh, great blessing. And I 
hope that those of you watching online can experience some of this um, on a deeper cosmic level, the breeze of spirit, the breeze of peace. May it be felt. I'd like to read from <clears throat> Whispers from Eternity. And <clears throat> this is entitled, Make Me Anything, a Christian or a Hindu, anything to realize thee. <clears throat> Let me be Christian, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, Mohammedan, or Sufi. I care not what be my religion, race, creed, or color, if only I can win my way to thee. But let me be none of these, if that identity enmeshes me in an enclosing net of religious or social formalities. Let me travel the royal highway road of realization, which leads to thee. If I am traveling on some bypath of religion, lead me on to the one common highway of realization, which leads straight to thee. Send me the sunshine of thy wisdom, that it lead me to the morning of my growing powers and send me the moon of thy mercy to guide me rightly if ever I am lost in the dark night of sorrow. Our topic today is many are the pathways to truth. And <clears throat> yesterday we celebrated Lahiri Mahashaya's Mahasamadhi and on the 30th of the month is the anniversary of his birthday. So this is an auspicious time right between these two points of deep inspiration because of a very deep and profound life lived. For any of you who don't know of Lahiri Mahashai, I encourage you to read from Autobiography of a Yogi, the chapter, the Christ-like life of Lahiri Mahashai. Uh, Yogananda wrote beautiful words there and great inspiration and truth. And because his was a life that really sought to see and express the unity of all paths, I wanted to just speak a little bit about him. <clears throat> Lahiri Mahashai, Yogananda's guru's guru, so his param guru. He was born into the high Brahmin caste. And although this has been reduced largely to uh, determination by birth in times of lesser awareness and realization, for Lahiri, we can truly say that this caste exemplified self-mastery and attunement to the infinite. And thus, he was a member in his physical life as Lahiri Mahashai of the Brahmin caste. Lahiri came to Babaji, Mahavatar Babaji, 
also spoken of in uh, autobiography of a yogi and part of our lineage at the age of 33 and was initiated into the ages-old science of Kriya Yoga. And this was a very pivotal point. We owe a great debt, a priceless gift Lahiri has given you and me because of his request to Babaji that all sincere seekers be able to receive initiation into this technique. And Babaji said, God has spoken through you, be it so. So even though Lahiri Mahashai lived a very really secret life in a lot of ways. This was a turning point to reach out beyond the particulars of any one path, of any one way to God. And it was this universal mission that really um, characterized, you might say, the whole of Lahiri's life because he used his um, this gift of Kriya really and the gift of realization to break down the barriers as Yogananda said of of the rigid caste system and to reach out to everyone whoever they were whatever they did however they lived if they sincerely wanted to grow spiritually and grow in truth. Lahiri said, divine union is possible through self-effort and no longer need be tied nor limited to theological beliefs or a cosmic dictator. And then Yogananda In his words, in conjunction with this passage, he said, through the sacred key of Kriya, persons who would never, have never believed in the divinity of any man can now realize for themselves that divine reality within. So a very, very significant and powerful turning point. Lahiri Mahashai was a householder yogi. Yogananda gave him the name Yogavatar, incarnation of yoga. And as we know, yoga means union. And again, this validation of his life work and really the work of Incarnations, I think this is, we can say this is one of the unique facets of this soul that expressed through his lives, his personalities. It is said that Lahiri was the great saint Kabir. And Kabir also lived a life in which he tried to break through the rigidity of outward appearances, outward affiliations, And at the end of his life, he had devotees uh, of many different faiths and Muslims and Hindus. And at the end, at his Mahasamadhi, 
They were squabbling over how to handle the body. The Muslims wanted to bury it. The Hindus wanted to burn it. And they could not reconcile this supreme difference in orientation. And when they pulled across aside the cloth that covered the body of Kabir, all that was there was flowers. What could they do? <laughs> it was just flowers. There was no body to bury, no body to burn. They divided them. Even in death, Kabir could not you know, stand or tolerate disharmony, such insignificant, you know, such an insignificant perspective on reality and truth. And so there were just flowers. But Yogananda, he gave Lahiri this name, Yogavatar, and he said of Lahiri, he, was the, he is the greatest master of modern times. These are Yogananda's words. So there's something really, it's nice that this birthday and Mahasamadhi are so close together and days in between because we can really savor what that life was about and try to tune into that life. You know, there's a beautiful uh, chant, very well known in India, Eka Sadhana Hari Bhaja Hari. There is only one path to sing the name of God. Beautiful, a beautiful truth. And yet, even in this, people can twist it and say, the only way to God is to sing his name and no other. That's the problem. That's what material consciousness does. It makes everything small. It creates a boundary around everything. And people are either on the inside or the outside of that dividing line. And the whole of his life was really to break that open. You know, don't worry about what you are or how you're doing it. Worry about what you are and who you are inside yourself. As a householder, he lived a very simple life. He was very thrifty. Yogananda says, entirely unostentatious, accessible to all. And Yogananda, I love these words. He said, Lahiri lived his life. Naturally and happily, he lived a worldly life. Naturally and happily, he lived a worldly life. Not worldly consciousness, but a life, an incarnation on the physical plane, in the realm of duality, and he did it naturally and happily. And that's a very powerful statement because here we are. We can't do anything about it. We're on planet Earth at the very beginnings of Dwapara. It's not an enlightened age. It's not always an enlightened environment. You know, we're not always acting in an enlightened way. We're here. We're stuck with it on one level. On another level, it's a divine gift, a divine opportunity. Why not live it naturally? Why not live it happily? Why not just be here in all of this chaos and have a good time and think of God? Why not? Naturally and happily in a worldly life. So be it. Here we are.
This is what God has given us. Yogananda said of Lahiri that after he returned from the initiation with Babaji, he lived in his home very simply. He said once he retired from work, he didn't even leave his house. He barely even left the room, the little parlor where he lived, to go to other parts of the house. He just sat there in divine bliss. And from all over India, students came, disciples came, attracted, drawn, led to this home in Varanasi, where Lahiri Mahashai lived with his family, his wife, his children. And there they came, and there he shared. And into that environment, as they were drawn, they received. Everyone knew the spiritual stature of Lahiri. They could feel it. They felt uplifted. Yogananda said, physiologically, he exhibited breathlessness, sleeplessness. In meditation, his eyes did not move. His lids were unblinking, perfectly still. And this just went on day after day, day after day, because all of his life up to this point, naturally and happily, in the life God had given him. And finally that bliss just spilled over and that bliss changed lives and attracted those souls who could benefit. A renaissance was taking place, Yogananda said. Kind of a secret renaissance. You know, there wasn't an internet, there weren't posters, but the people who needed to know found out and came there and were there. And Into this reality, we enter when we are initiated into Kriya, when we go deep into meditation. A part of this consciousness is received within us. And I want to read Yogananda's words because I think it helps us to imagine this consciousness. You know, when we talk about honoring many paths, being open to many paths, we're saying relating to many realities, all realities. It takes a very big consciousness to make that more than just a platitude, to really live that and experience that and share that. And so I want to read you Yogananda's words, just a couple of paragraphs here from Autobiography of a Yogi. A significant feature of Lahiri Lahiri Mahashaya's life was his gift of Kriya initiation to those of every faith. Not Hindus only, but Muslims and Christians were among his foremost disciples. Monists and dualists 
Those of all faiths are of no established faith. We're impartially received and instructed by the universal guru. One of his highly, uh, the great guru encouraged his various students to adhere to good traditional discipline, to the good traditional discipline of their own faith, stressing the all-inclusive nature of Kriya as a practical technique of liberation. Lahiri Mahashai then gave his chelas liberty to express their lives in conformance with environment and upbringing. A Muslim should perform his namaj worship four times daily, the master pointed out. Four times daily, a Hindu should sit in meditation. A Christian should go down on his knees four times daily, praying to God and then reading the Bible. With wise discernment, the guru guided his followers into the paths of bhakti, devotional, devotion, karma, action, jnana, wisdom, or raja, royal or complete yogas, according to each man's natural tendencies. So this ability to see the needs, the spiritual needs of the individual was paramount in Lahiri Mahashai, and he guided his disciples thus and all those who came to him. And the particulars of the path are what we live, our dharma. And this is presented in the reading today. What is our dharma? It's the particular path that God has given each one of us to become realized, to become free. And that dharma is very unique, and it's very specific, and it's very important that we know what our dharma is. And if we don't know what our dharma is, or at any point in time we're confused about what our dharma is, we should ask. And really, we should always be asking, not that we doubt the path that is before us as we understand it, but the refinements of our dharma, the subtleties of specifically how we are growing in God and how God is working through us and needs to work through us, his hands, his feet, his being. I remember when I was on pilgrimage in India going to the home of Lahiri Mahashai. And we were going as pilgrims. There must have been 25 or 30 of us. We had a guide to take us there. I don't honestly know how you would find your way there without (laughs) some help. And it was just down this very, very narrow lane with just, you know, buildings, homes, you know, stucco, the dobe, whatever it is they use there in India on both sides, only big enough for a single file line down that road. And we shared it with cows and we shared it with the poor just living there on the little curb next to the building with whatever were their belongings, maybe their child. And just winding around and around and around, probably 15 minutes or so. But, you know, you can cover some distance in 15 minutes. And I remember having this thought. All I could really see was the 
person one or two ahead of me. If I get left here, if somehow I get disconnected from this group, India could just swallow me up. No one would know where I had gone. You know, it was that kind of a, an adventure. But that's a good analogy, isn't it, for knowing what our dharma is. We need help. We need a guide. We need a guru. We need some clarity to understand because there is so much, so much to choose from, so much to be attracted by or distracted by. But to know our dharma, to know what our path is so that we can live that. Dharma in a very real way supports, even parallels we might say, the path of Kriya Yoga. Because when we're living our dharma, and this is why Swamiji stresses this so much, the teachings stretch it, stress it. More important to die doing your dharma than someone else's. Because when you're living your dharma, just like in Kriya, the molecules in your being align themselves in a north-south polarity, and that channel is focused and the energy rises when we're living our dharma, when we're trying to do something else, wandering over here, going over there, around and around and around, there's a friction. And we experience that friction. We experience that, di- that disharmony because things aren't right. Things aren't in alignment. That's how we know. Your dharma isn't necessarily easy when you find it. And why would it be? If we're here for liberation, if we're here to grow spiritually, well, there's some work that needs to be done, right? There's some growth that needs to be hap- happen. So even though you know your dharma, there's certainly going to be rough spots, but there's going to be that alignment just like there is in the practice of Kriya. And it's so important to know what that path, you know, many dharmas, many paths, this is another level of the teaching this morning. And we need to know what our own is and do it, and do it dynamically. There's many great things to do in the world, and if it's your dharma to be in the trenches and go after some cause in the greater world, by all means, do it. You'll have to do it. It'll chase you around. It'll haunt you. It's yours. But if it's your dharma to live in community, if it's your dharma to live in immediate spiritual proximity and environment, then use, too, that blessing to its fullest and share it with others. Give it to others in your prayer, in your meditations. Make your dharma, whatever it is, dynamic and have the courage to follow it. In the life of Ramdas, one of our members who passed away last year, shortly after Ananta and I came back to live at the village, I was driving up Tyler Foot Road and Ramdas was hitchhiking. His car had broken down. So I picked him up. I, I recognized who he was. He lived here at Ananda when I came in the 70s. Um, 
Sometime after that, he left. He had responsibilities, obligations in the world outside of Ananda Village, outside of Ananda altogether. And he went to take care of that. So he had come back, I heard, and I saw him, and I picked him up. And I said, welcome, Ram Das. How has it been for you? And he just simply said, I've been to hell and back. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to open the book any further. <laughs> I was afraid of what might be there. But that said it all. And yet, he, what I love is he just so simply said it, hell and back, and here I am. You know, this is my dharma. This is my spiritual home. And to have the courage to keep coming back to what is our path, what is our dharma, even if we get pulled, you know, a little to the side here and there or out in an entirely different way, to just know that this is home, this is home, and have the courage, the courage to break apart those conceptions, preconceived conceptions, you know, that thought of, gosh, I left, they're not going to love me, I'm not going back, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, or whatever it is. The courage to follow our dharma, the courage to keep coming home. And in this context, I was thinking how that very chant that I said earlier, Eka Sadhana Hare Bhaja Hari, there's only one path to sing the name of God. And that is true. That is true. There is only one path. And whatever color it wears, whatever environment it wears, whatever world it is in, when we get into that consciousness that Lahiri and all the great masters are a channel for, that consciousness of expansion, of omniscience, of omnipresence, we can truly say all paths are one. There's only one path, and that's to be in God, to love God, to sing God's name. So God bless you all. Causes others join and shout when others shout. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone. Don't look back, just go on alone. The daring ever to be free. They shun the heights and crowd the depths and court security. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone.
but pride in singularity. Oh, never mind if men are wrong so long as they agree. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone. Don't look back, just go on alone. Claim the power within you, error to defy. The world may change or disappear, but truth can never die. Come, you're a man, no passing stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone.